Father, thank you for this man, and I thank you, Lord, that he has surrendered his life to you, but that he continues to surrender his life to you. And Lord, we know that's the secret of walking with you in power. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we surrender and resurrender, and Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning, that they would capture the spirit on Chris, that is a, a spirit of surrender and resurrender. May we surrender or resurrender this morning as we sit under your word and submit to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I want to continue on in that prayer because before I bring the word, I really need to hand it over and ask for God's blessing over exactly what to speak into in all the things that he's stirring up and preparing in my heart to share with our community today. So if you join me, I'd, I'd ask that you'd just position your heart to receive God's word today. They will just take a moment to acknowledge him, to look to him, and to surrender to what he wants to do in your life, in your heart today. We will not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, I must admit that this message is as much for me as it is for anyone in this room today hearing it. A few weeks ago, God started stirring up in my heart a desire to read more of the word, to seek out his story of salvation found earlier on in the Bible, in Genesis. I found myself reading through chapters and chapters about the stories of people who are considered fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And specifically, I was spending a lot of time looking at the life of Jacob and how not just through his life, but the lives of the family members around him, the lessons that could be learnt from them, the things that I could start to see myself in, that, in those stories. And I'm going to talk on that a little bit later. But I want to, I guess, lay out where we're headed in the message today. And I want to start by sharing that the message today is titled, How to Turn Back to the Lord. And the verse that God revealed to me, why, why am I spending all this time looking at the lives of people and their faith journey early in the Bible? Why am I looking at it and going, oh, how did you keep doing that? Or why did you do that? Until I started to realize that I do exactly the same thing. How often I see myself in there, but yet I look at the other person rather than myself. So, in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40, it says, Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Instead of trying to justify myself and say how good I am and look at all the things that I'm doing, great. Actually, let me get really brutally honest in my walk and relationship with the Lord and say, let me test and examine my ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. I love this verse because the word turn 
back to me indicates that there's something that I need to turn away from in my life in order to get back to God, in order to get back to a deeper level of relationship with Him. It's a, it's a calling and a leading of the Spirit on our hearts in our journey with God. And I must say that as I did this and I had these realizations that there were certain areas of my life that were not surrendered to God, that were not walking with Him. They weren't surrendered. They weren't looking for Him. They weren't waiting for Him. And that broke my heart, friends. And as strange as it may sound to say this, I pray that it breaks your heart too. I pray that the Spirit today breaks your heart for the things that are keeping you separated from experiencing the fullness and the abundant life that God has for us. So I'm going to read from a book Andrew mentioned. I'm certainly taking some time to have a look back at some of the early work of the Salvation Army, some of the people who, to me, walk the walk, as we spoke about today. People who not just by their words, but through their life, through the choices, through what we see over their lifetime, surrendered it all to the Lord. And I'm going to read first from a book, uh, it's called 1865, The Year That Made the Salvation Army. One of the beautiful things that I, two beautiful things that I was encouraged by as I was reading this book, is that William and Catherine Booth didn't just wake up one day and all the work that they were doing that became the Salvation Army just happened. Now they toiled and they surrendered for over 10 years and went through all the ups and downs of ministry and working and journeying with the Lord that comes along with that. So I really encourage if you get some time to have a look at that one. I've got a few notes over the place, so if you see me looking at different papers, might just take me a minute. We might get a bit off track, that's okay. We're praying for the Holy Spirit to lead what needs to be focused on today. So I want to share this part of the book. It's chapter 14. William and Catherine learn to make disciples. The meeting commenced at 10.30am and by 5 in the afternoon, it was still going. Catherine was the leader and the Spirit was at work. In her message, she said that many times people argue with the Holy Spirit. They resist him. He tells them to surrender everything to God, but they refuse. They cherish some idol in their life and they can't let it go. And that can stall them in the shallows with God. The message really hit home. The Holy Spirit moved in power and lots of people came forward to kneel at the front of the chapel at the mercy seat. After a long time, a tall, intelligent man of about 40 went forward and knelt at the, at the mercy seat. Catherine didn't know it till later, but he was part of the leadership team in his church. He said, uh, she, she asked him straight up, My dear sir, have you had a disagreement with the Holy Spirit? He said, I have. I've had one for the last 15 years. And I'm ashamed to say it, It's eaten up all the joy and all the power in my Christian life 
and I have been useless. Catherine said, well, my dear sir, you know the gospel as well as I do. It is of no use to preach faith to you until you are willing to renounce your idol. And he said empathetically, I know it. And she said, are you willing? The man hesitated. She told him, well, my dear sir, you must make up your mind. In your case, it is between your idol, whatever it may be, and Christ. She stepped away and left him for a few minutes. She lifted her heart to God, then went back and said, will you renounce it? The man looked up as if to the Lord, then slapped his hand down on the rail and said, by the grace of God, I do. And his whole frame heaved in agony. Straight away, he was set free. As Catherine said, the Savior was there waiting for him. Only that idol stood between them. And when the man trampled it under his feet and was willing to give it up, he stepped into the arms of Jesus. And now he knew that he was saved. It was all over town for the next fortnight. People said, did you ever see such a change come over a man? He's like a new man. He prays in the prayer meeting with such fever. He was at the chapel's door speaking to the unconverted and inviting them to come back. He's visiting up and down the town. He's a new man. Slowly the booths were learning how to make disciples of Jesus. I love that testimony. And I admit that there's things that can get in the way between me and my Lord and Saviour. Every time I come to kneel at the mercy seat, I want a Saviour. I want to receive the blessing to be saved from whatever it is. But am I willing to make him Lord over my life as well and to turn away from that other stuff that I'm continuing to ask from, to be saved from? I wonder if you're starting to think about that thing in your life that needs to be shifted. So here's the, the layout that uh, William and Catherine had discovered after many years of ministry. First, that people must genuinely repent. We actually have to turn away from all the sin in our life. I noticed that on the screens, the live stream is coming up. I do did have some PowerPoints there with some verses that just really underpin this. So I want to share them with you as we go along. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. A saving faith is more than just an intelligent belief in Jesus. It's surrendering our life. He wants us to trust him, to rely on his cross for forgiveness, to give our all. In John chapter 5, verse 30, these are the words of Jesus. He says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out 
the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. When I'm walking with the Lord, it's not my will be done, but his. And the last thing I want to encourage us uh, from some of the takeaway, some of the things God's been working in my heart that just really bring it home and inviting that turning back to the Lord to ask him for more, more of his spirit. God never intended just to sprinkle us with a little wash of salvation. He wants to change our hearts. He wants to transform our lives, friends. It's going to mean a call to a higher standard. We're going to need to step into what God is calling us into. It's a call to holy living. It's a call to leave that stuff of this world behind and to step into the kingdom of God as we've heard testimony of this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 7. God's will for you is to be holy. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. In Hebrews, another reminder, chapter 12, verse 14. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. There's so much invitation here, friends. So much calling us home. But the word will give us warning as well. Because if we're headed in a different direction, it gives us an idea of where that path leads us. We won't see the Lord. We won't be transformed. We'll be the same as where we were when we first come if we're not obedient and willing to make changes that he calls us into. As Andrew was saying, let's dig into the word, friends. Let's find those areas of our life that God's revealing to us that need to change. And you know what? It's not all up to our own strength. God's strength will lead you through will give you everything you need. God is giving us a desire and a power to carry out his good and perfect will. It's in Philippians chapter 2, I think, where I'm mentioning that from. All right. Well, let's have a look at a few more things, hey? You guys with me? We're getting into it now. Okay, we're just getting started. If you remember... As Catherine said, they started at 10.30 in the morning. They were there till 5, okay? So let's get into it today, friends. I'm here for as long as you would like. I'll share as much of this stuff. We'll do as much work as we need to for the Holy Spirit to move and to work in our lives. And if you're at home, I just pray. I pray that you would take that time to focus in, lean into what God's got in store for you today. Well... I mentioned a little bit uh, before about the story of Jacob. Let me just touch on a little bit of his life. So before Jacob was even born, his, his mother was given a promise by God, was given an explanation of what was going on within her life. And God reveals to her that there's two nations. Jacob's one, one of a, a twin one of two children that are born. And 
I guess where I'm going with this is that God had already spoken over Jacob's life that he would receive a blessing, that he would bring about the fulfillment of God's promises to bless and extend the, the many generations of people that would come from his family, the generations where we see the, line, the, the family line of Jesus come about. But Jacob wasn't always in tune or on the same page with what God had in store for his life. He was more about scheming and trying to figure out things on his own way. So he didn't have a faith, a, a surrender to God's will. He had a desire to scheme and get what he wanted. Two of the ways that we see that at work is him manipulating his brother into selling him his birthright. See, the, the customs of the people at that time is the firstborn son would receive, the blessing would receive all that flow on. But God had already spoken to his family, had already shared what was going to happen. And it was not going to come through the firstborn son. It was going to come through Jacob. But instead of waiting on God to see that fulfillment of that promise, he wanted to take things into his own hands. How often do we do that, friends? How often do I try and bring about my will and try and just, and even more than that, try and justify it? What would it look like if I waited on God, trusted in His plans, rested on His word to see Him bring about His will? What a difference it would make in our lives. So the next instance of Jacob trying to Continuing on with this, this blessing, later on in his father's life, he comes to him and the father, he knows that the time's come to pass on the blessing and he, he loves his firstborn son. He actually, in that time, he wants to give the firstborn son the blessing. But Jacob hears of that and he, he puts together a little plot to impersonate his brother to receive the blessing. And here, once again, we see the scheming ways of a man trying to bring the fulfillment of God's promises. He gets the blessing, but he also severs that relationship with his brother. And his brother makes a vow that once his father dies, he's going to come back after him. He's going to take revenge. And there's a separation that happens in the family. And Jacob has to leave his family, he, the lands of his family. And this is where I want to come in with the Bible reading today because... 20 years later, as Jacob actually learns to seek God, to wait for him, to look for him, to go to him, God calls him back to the lands of his family and he knows that he's going to have to face the music with his brother. And we come into uh, this Bible verse at Genesis. Um, it's in chapter 32. I'm going to read verses 9 to 13 and then pick it up again from verse 20. So Jacob knows that he's going to see his brother. He's starting to get an idea of what his relationship with God looks like. He's starting to get this idea that rather than try and do it my own way, as I did my whole, my whole life, I'm going to seek God. I'm going to ask him to get a part of the picture with me today. So in verse 9 we kick off. Then Jacob prayed. O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, 
O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. O Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother. I am afraid that he's coming to attack me along with my family and children. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly and I will multiply your descendants and they, until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore. Too many to count. Jacob stayed where he was for the night. Going to pick back up on verse 20 here. Jacob thought, I'll try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. And when I see him in person, perhaps he'll be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob, Jacob himself spent that night in the camp. During the night, Jacob got up and took his family and crossed the river with them. After taking them all to the other side and sending over all his possessions, he stayed alone in the camp. And a man came to wrestle with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And then the man said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man said. From now on you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Benil, which means the face of God. For he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Friends, if we want to seek God, we want to meet with him, we have to get alone with him. We have to wait on him. We have to make time and space in our life to intentionally seek the Lord. Jacob separated himself from his whole family. Instead of trying to figure it out on his own, which he did in to some degree, trying to use the gifts as a way to resolve the situation, he realized that where it was really at was in wrestling with the Lord. Seeking his blessing, seeking his support, seeking his strength and courage to face what was to come. I've really been enjoying a book called Helps to Holiness. And it's by one of the early uh, pioneers of Salvation Army uh, holiness movement. This call into holy living. And I was reading a chapter called The Secret of God's power. And I wanted to share that with you today because it really leads us into our first point this morning, which is wait for God. 
Now, Samuel Brangle, he, he said, if I was dying and have the privilege of delivering three words to Christians, I would say, wait for God. Take time. Miss your breakfast if necessary, but take time to wait for God. I once heard William Booth say in a Salvation Army meeting, take time to pray God's blessing down on your soul every day. If you don't, you'll lose God. God is leaving men every day. They once had power. They walked in the glory and the strength of God, but they ceased to wait on him. They neglected to seek his face and he left them. I'm a very busy man, but I take time to get alone with God every day and commune with him. In the words of Brangle, which just challenged me, do I make that time every day? He continues on and says, Wherever I go, I find men and women who were once believers but have slid away. My heart aches as I think of the way in which the Holy Spirit has been grieved and of the way in which Jesus has been treated. If they were asked why they'd lost their faith, they'd give a thousand different reasons. But in the end, there's only really one. They did not wait for God. If they had waited for him when the assault was made on their faith, they would have renewed their strength. They would have run through their enemies and not been weary. They would have walked in the middle of trouble and not fainted. Wait for God. This means more than just a prayer of 30 seconds on getting up in the morning and going to bed at night. Who's been there? I may mean one prayer that gets hold of God and comes away with the blessing. Or it may mean a dozen prayers that just knock and persist and will not be put off until God reveals his presence. See, there's a drawing near to God, a knocking at heaven's door, a pleading of the promises, a reasoning with Jesus that puts all the wealth of heaven at the disposal of a person. Wait for God. As well as the many warnings that we receive in God's word, we receive so many promises, friends. Here's just a few that we can pick up on when we capture some of the points that we've been speaking about there. Some of the things that I take away from the helps to holiness writings there. Wait for God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, where we're headed today. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That's a promise of the Lord, friends. Take time to pray God's blessing down on your soul every day. Here's another promise. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. But when you pray... Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in heaven. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. See, God reveals his presence when we wait on him, friends. When we, in Matthew chapter 7, it reminds us, it promises us, keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. What do you need to grab hold of this morning, friends? Do you need to heed the warnings? Do you need to grab hold of the promises? 
maybe a bit of a bit of all of it. So let's pick up a, a few points from Jacob's life just to bring us home this morning, friends. Come back to waiting on God. Jacob stayed where he was for the night. He was left all alone in the camp. He was very intentional about that. And a man came to wrestle with him until the dawn began to break. God reveals his presence to us. He meets us where we're at, in the troubles, in the turmoils, in the joys, in the celebration. Are we waiting for him? Are we seeking him? Are we looking for him? When we wrestle with God, and this is one that just really started to stir up something new. I don't know exactly what it means for you, friends, but I pray that the Spirit would reveal to you that sometimes the blessing looks like a broken hip. Sometimes the blessing may look completely different to what we expected. We may not know exactly where God is leading us in that. Our circumstances may not paint the picture of the victory that has been won in our wrestling with the Lord. We only see our circumstance. But let's start to see deeper, Lord. Reveal to us. The last point I want to make along this is walking with God. Jacob says, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. How many times do we sit with God, seek his salvation, ask for the blessing, ask for the removal of whatever it is that's challenging us in this life, whatever it is that's standing between us and the Lord. And God lifts us up, continues to meet with us, to call us home. Our life is spared every time we, speak, we seek the Lord. Do I have a level of gratitude? Do I have a walk with God that reflects the gratitude I have for what God has done in my life? Friends, I want to encourage you today. Let's come back to the, the joy of our salvation. Let's turn back to the Lord. Let's leave behind anything that may be sitting in the way of your walk with God today. Let's wait for him. Let's listen to what he wants to reveal to us because I guarantee no matter how many times I thought I had it all together, when I genuinely went to the Lord, seeking his face, he revealed to me areas of my life that needed work, that needed a renewing of my mind, that needed transformation, that were calling me into a deeper level of relationship with him. And I encourage you this morning, friends, whether you're here in this room or watching along line, let's make some space for that today. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to start coming up. I want to encourage us as we start to seek the face of God today, that we would wait on Him. Just wait on His Spirit to start working in your heart. Bring it all to him and be ready to surrender. And if you're not ready to surrender all, 
then take that time to sit with him, to wait on him, to give you his strength and his spirit to be able to do that work in your heart. He's calling you home today, friends. He wants to do a special work in your heart today. Will you wait for him? Will you invite him in? I want to leave you with one last Bible verse as we step into a time of reflection. It's Isaiah chapter 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary. He will not grow tired. And his understanding no one can fathom. That's who we're approaching this morning, friends. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. That's his promise today, friends. Even youths will grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint.